Welcome back to The Common Christian Diet. That music is from Debbie Forrest, and the song is called Born Bad. If you haven't already, go listen to that entire song. It's a very real look at some of our struggles as Christians, and I just love it. My name is Paige, and I'm excited to start Episode 3, which is all about setting your goals. Now, if you're tuning in for the first time, I want to welcome you, but I also want to encourage you to start at the beginning because the stories I'm telling are a journey and they build on each other, so they make a lot more sense when you hear them in order. Let me give you a short recap. The first episode was called Deciding to Start a Diet because it focuses on the decision to get healthy. Some people make those types of decisions because of a major event or tragedy in their life, and others, like me, come to this point very reluctantly, like, Okay, God, fine. Let's do it your way. Then the second episode, called Stepping on the Scale, is about finding our starting point. It's about seeing ourselves more clearly. A lot of us know we need to make some changes in our lives to be healthier, but how big is the problem really? If I step on the scale, will I find out I'm 20 pounds overweight or 50? We are often blind to the changes that need to be made in our lives. When I stepped on the scale 10 years ago, one of the biggest things revealed to me was that I didn't really know God and I did not want him in charge of my life. I wanted him to answer when I called him, but to stay out of the rest of the details. Lucky for me, God was not okay being on the sidelines of my life. So now that we've identified some changes we need to make, today's episode is going to take the next step and set some goals. Now before we set goals, we need to make sure we're ready for change. Preparing our minds for change is a multi-step process, and the better prepared we are, the more likely we are to succeed. If we don't prepare, our goals will end up looking a whole lot like New Year's resolutions. Not that people can't succeed with a New Year's resolution, but we all know what the gyms look like around January 20th after those brand new members stop showing up. Getting our minds ready for change needs to include a few key items. The what, why, and how. First, we need to know what change we want to make, and it helps to define it. People will say things like, I'm going to lose weight or start eating healthier, but those are more overarching goals. Overarching goals are high-level goals that point us in the right direction, but don't give us the steps to get there. Setting goals should include more specific things like lose 15 pounds in 90 days or cut my sugary soda intake in half. To reach an overarching goal, we will need to set several smaller specific goals. And these smaller goals can be changed or modified at any time to help us reach the main goals better. The second key item is to acknowledge why we want to make this change in our life. What is our real motivation? Sometimes we think we know the answer, but we have to ask ourselves questions like, do I really want to lose weight or am I just seeking attention? I have to admit that a lot of my motivation for working out when I was younger was the attention I got in the gym. I would not have admitted it at the time, but that was a huge motivator. It can be helpful to ask ourselves if we are really making this change for the right reason. Do I really desire to improve my health, or am I just trying to get my spouse to stop nagging me? Another key item in preparing for change is identifying how we will overcome the challenges we will face. Habits are hard to break, cravings can be really powerful, and healthy choices often take more time out of our day than non-healthy choices. So if we want to begin making changes, we also need a strategy to handle the challenges. Things like stocking my fridge with the right food, keeping walking shoes in my car, 
Learning how to say no to my coworkers when they order pizza for lunch, or maybe setting an extra alarm in the morning so I don't miss yoga class. The last step, after we have thought about the what, why, and how, is we need to be honest about whether or not we are setting ourselves up for success. This is not a simple yes-no answer. Sometimes we really do want our overarching goal for the right reasons, but we set ourselves up for failure with our strategy. For example, lots of people talk about how they want to start eating healthy. That's their main goal. Then the next statement out of their mouth is, I'm going to start eating salad for lunch every day, which is their specific goal. Now, when I used to coach people on nutrition and they would tell me these things, I would ask them a simple question. Do you like salads? Some people do. Some people get a fancy salad with grilled chicken and a hard-boiled egg and lots of vegetables and they just dip the tongs of the fork into a light salad dressing with every bite and they feel really satisfied day after day for lunch. And that's great. But some people really hate salads. They hate them so much that they have to pour several tablespoons worth of Thousand Island all over it and not the light stuff because that's just gross and they need croutons and bacon bits and protein, but grilled chicken's too dry so they add some fried chicken to the top and by the time they've dressed up their salad enough to enjoy it, they've essentially eaten the equivalent of a fried chicken sandwich with a side of lettuce. Then there's another group of people who also dislike salads, but they know better than to make it taste good. So they begrudgingly stab their rabbit food and choke it down, and it is absolute pure willpower for them to eat it day after day. And my point is this. There is no rule that says you have to eat a salad every day for lunch to be healthy. There are many specific goals people can set to achieve a main goal. It is very helpful when people are honest with themselves about what will work for them and what they will find challenging. Now we've covered preparing for change and we're almost ready to set some goals. Once we are sure we are doing everything for the right reasons, we will establish the overarching goal, set some specific goals that are realistic, identify the challenges we will face and ways to overcome them. But there is another issue to consider. Sometimes we don't realize how difficult a challenge will be for us until we face it head on. We've watched other people run a marathon, quit smoking, or completely transform their bodies, and we think, I want that. And we might do all the same planning and preparation they did, but we don't find the same success. There was some roadblock for us that we didn't know about and didn't plan for. I was able to witness this growing up in a smoker's home. Smoking is not just a physical addiction. It's an emotional attachment, it can be a social activity, and it's often a way for people to deal with stress or anxiety. My parents are very private people, so I won't share specific details, but they both quit smoking when I was 16. I was born in the 70s when pretty much everyone smoked, so they had both been smoking for about 20 years. They used the nicotine patches to help them quit, and after they quit, one of my parents began to see themselves as a non-smoker. When challenges like stress or anxiety came about, they adapted and found new ways to deal with it. My other parents struggled more without the comfort of a cigarette and seemed to view themselves as a smoker who quit. So when challenges like stress or anxiety came about, they still saw smoking as a possible remedy. If stress got high enough, they turned back to smoking. Even though both of them had smoked for about 20 years and both used the nicotine patches to quit, they did not have the same results. They had the same what and the same why, but they had different roadblocks to overcome. 
Now, I don't want to paint this like one of my parents is successful and my other parent is a failure. It is not a story of right and wrong, good and bad, success and failure, or strength and weakness. I love them both. It's an example of two people I love approaching the same goal with the same intentions, but facing different challenges. Change is not easy, so it's important to be prepared and to be honest with ourselves. What will I find challenging? How will I deal with it? And what do I do if I start to lose the battle? It is absolutely okay to keep updating our goals and plans along the way. Maybe I set a goal to run three times a week, but now I've decided biking is easier on my knees. Great! Let's adapt and stay focused on the main goal. Now, what does all this mean spiritually? When I was younger, I never gave any thought to my spiritual health. I assumed I was healthy because I went to church and I prayed. What more could there be? I later realized that I knew about God, but I didn't know Him. I never put it in words, but looking back 10 years ago, my overarching goal for my spiritual health would have been go to church to feel good about myself and pray so I could get what I wanted. I wasn't connected to God. I just wanted God to bless me. Like I mentioned earlier, when I stepped on the scale, I realized I never wanted God in the details of my life. I didn't have a goal to get to know Jesus, and I didn't have any plans to be in a relationship with him. But in my mid-30s, when I finally cried out to God for help, he revealed something to me that surprised me. He showed me that I didn't even love him. I want to share a story I wrote about five years ago called For the Love of God, which describes how God revealed to me that I didn't love him. Then at the end, I'll share my new overarching goal for my spiritual life. For the Love of God Love is patient. Love is kind. I admittedly am not very much of either, unless stubbornness can be substituted as a form of patience and then I have that skill in spades. The concept of true love was still a mystery to me in my mid-30s, but I was pretty sure it looked something like the present-day romance stories I watched on Hallmark. There's that instant spark when two way-above-average-looking people meet by some random chance, followed by a dramatic scene tearing them apart and then spending the rest of the show climbing mountains or traversing the globe in search of the source of their five-second love affair. Love wasn't only patient and kind, it was bold and exciting. I honestly would have settled for an almost handsome man accidentally bumping my arm in the grocery store, causing me to drop my keys, and then tracking me down to aisle five to return them. But I had pretty low expectations at that time. My perception of love might have been skewed by Hollywood, but the problem seemed even bigger when I thought about it in terms of my relationship with God. But what did it mean to love God? What was that supposed to feel like? Was I doing it right? I was suddenly embarrassed. I didn't know how I truly felt about God. I considered what I already knew about God's love, and it was barely more than what a preschooler might be taught on Sundays. God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus loves us this I know, for the Bible tells us so. No one had ever asked me if I loved God, but if they had, I'm sure I would have answered yes. I would also answer yes if asked whether I love peanut butter or coffee. In fact, love is not a big enough word to describe my affection for peanut butter. So of course I loved God, and I told him so on Easter, Christmas, or any occasion where he answered my prayers in a way that pleased me. Naturally, God wanted more. At a stoplight on my way home from work, I finally paid attention to the lyrics of a Christian song I had heard countless times. 
The artist was pouring out their love for the Lord with all their heart and soul, and it made me ask myself if I loved God like that. I didn't answer me. Before the light turned green, I decided that the artist was getting paid to sing those words, and I probably shouldn't take songs so literally. But in the weeks that followed, I found myself listening more and more to the messages on the radio. Loving God, no matter what. I pictured myself as the little girl who loves her parents, mostly because they buy her stuff and help her out when she gets in trouble. Then, when asked to help with chores, she replies with complaints and excuses. I realized I loved God like an earthly parent. I appreciated his gifts, but didn't spend a lot of energy worrying about his needs. Funny how I make my own children do chores around the house, but I really hadn't considered what God needed from me. Offerings in the plate? Yes. Volunteer opportunities? Sure, if I wasn't too busy. But using my gifts for God's purposes? Not once. So was God first in my life? Could I really love him if he wasn't a priority? Did I even know what he might want from me if I asked? But I wasn't really ready to ask. Throughout my life, I assumed I had a personal relationship with God because I prayed somewhat regularly. The truth was that our relationship was very limited because I always put myself in charge of defining it. I set the terms. I decided when we would talk and how often. I honestly thought of the Creator as being pretty busy ruling the universe and that I wasn't important enough to bother Him with daily things. My nightly prayers went something like, Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for something good that happened to me. Please help me do something I need to do. Please do something for me I want done. Please protect my family, friends, and everyone. Amen. My early prayers were about as deep as the ones my son used to pray as a six-year-old, which always ended in, And God, please turn me into Laser Guy so I can help people when I grow up. Laser Guy was my son's pretend superhero with a black mask and laser eyes. My collection of memorabilia contains numerous hand-drawn pictures of this made-up healer of humanity. I never fully understood how laser vision was supposed to save the world, but my son's heart was in the right place. My heart, however, was the one in question. I began contemplating, how big can my relationship with the Lord be if I am the one in charge of defining it? God is infinite. I am on the earth for a blink. God is all-knowing, and I only think I know everything. God is all-powerful, and I struggle getting my son to wear a coat in the winter. Why was I the one defining my relationship with the Creator? Probably because it seemed easier to set my own expectations than to let God be in control. Probably because it allowed me to hide from Him when I felt shame. And maybe because I just didn't feel worthy of God's time and I never invited God into my daily life. I assumed he heard my simple prayers, but I didn't want to bother him too much with trivial requests. In order to build a close relationship, I had to accept the idea that I was worthy of God's attention. It's actually pretty difficult to waste God's time since he is everywhere and never sleeps, but I had to realize he does not need to leave the side of a dying man or a starving child to spend time with me. He can comfort me when I'm lonely help me manage an issue at work, or give me mercy on a short-tempered day even while dealing with all the problems of the universe. I had simply made God too small. 
I wanted to love God more than an earthly parent, but building a relationship with Him comes with expectations that many of us ignore. I once heard a sermon about baptism where we confess Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We want Jesus to be our Savior, but we don't necessarily want Him as our Lord. We focus on the fact that Jesus loves us just as we are, then we continue to live our lives any way we want because He always forgives. We want dessert, but push our vegetables to the side. We want our problems fixed, but not ourselves. Save me, Lord, don't change me. But God was guiding me to build a real relationship with him, and it meant I had to change. I needed to rethink everything about myself, from how I pray and how I parent, to how I love and how I treat others no matter what type of day I've had. Though I will probably always be stubborn, I needed to be a lot more patient and kind. I needed to open up to God and pray more intimately. I needed to invite him into every part of my day. Then it started making sense. How could I love God if I don't know him? His character, his expectations, my sin, and his forgiveness are all elements of our relationship that I needed to study and understand. Everything God was putting in my path, including the songs on KSBJ, the Christian radio station, were put there to help me grow in relationship with him. And eventually, I would learn that I don't need a Hollywood love story. God has been chasing me my whole life, and he loves me enough to chase me around the world if necessary. Now, if this is your first episode of The Common Christian Diet, you might be wondering why I just read you a story in the middle of it. Well, I lived for nearly 35 years as a Christian who didn't know Christ, and so I lived a very worldly life, and I found myself desperate for God's help. These stories are about how God picked me up and dusted me off and set me on a better path. But that better path included changes and many unexpected challenges. I met roadblocks I had to knock down, and I had to look at things in myself I didn't want to see. I had to let go of things that were bad for me and start doing things I didn't feel like doing. The more I learned about Jesus, the more I finally started seeing him as my personal trainer, the one who helped me fix my spiritual diet. He showed me my empty calories. He helped me run an extra mile when I was tired. He encouraged me, and occasionally he had to point out to me that my salad was nothing more than a fried chicken sandwich with a side of lettuce. I realized looking back that for as long as I had been a Christian and associated with other Christians, none of them told me I needed to fall in love with Jesus Christ. I knew about him, but it wasn't my goal to get to know him. I thought going to church on Sunday and occasional prayer was the whole shebang. Today, falling in love with Jesus is my overarching goal. It includes specific goals like listening to sermons, reading my Bible, being involved with other Christians, and having a real prayer life. It took time for my heart to change, but today I do these things because I really do love Jesus. It's not to impress my family or because I'm afraid I won't get into heaven if I don't. My main goal is to fall in love with Jesus more and more every day because Jesus is worthy. My specific goals need to be updated constantly, and some of them are very challenging. Loving my neighbor, forgiveness, patience, ugh. But the good news is that Jesus is my personal trainer. He's always with me, and he helps me overcome my challenges. The scripture I want to leave you with is about the Ten Commandments. 
When Jesus was asked which of the commandments was the most important, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Mark 12 verse 30. If you had asked me at any point in my life if I loved God, I would have answered yes. But now I've truly fallen in love with him and I seek to love him more. Loving God is so much more than going to church in nightly prayers. It's a relationship and a commitment to following him no matter what. So if you're not there yet, just set some goals. It's never too late to get started and Jesus will help you overcome any obstacles. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll come back for the next episode when I finally introduce Jesus as our personal trainer. I'm Paige, and this is The Common Christian Diet. Every day.